petrified wood on a Sunday. Hi. And also Fargo. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. To this latest and greatest episode of the Rock Osby Podcast. It's still pretty early. I'm still digesting my coffee. We're sitting here at the breakfast table. Um, but we do have an announcement. And for some people, this is positive. For some, it's negative. We have mixed feelings about it. But we are very excited and very happy um, to make this announcement. Uh, yeah. Take it away. We're moving to Duluth. I feel like I've already written several blog posts about that, so, I mean, this might be more your announcement than mine. So we're moving to Duluth, Minnesota, which, if you don't know, is on the eastern side of the state, right where Wisconsin and Minnesota butt up to each other, but on the, um, on the far corner of Lake Superior. So that's exciting. Um, we're moving for a variety of different reasons, um... I have come to the conclusion that I need a different job, um, just because the job I have is hard, and it's been challenging for a while, especially under conditions in COVID. Um, so I'm looking for something that maybe looks a little different than what I'm currently doing now in terms of crisis mental health work. Um, so excited for, for those opportunities that come around. Um, it's also going to be a lot closer to my family, and I really miss them. Um, and I have a big family over there in Minnesota, so it's going to be good to be closer um, and to spend more time with them. Um, rock Rat, do you have anything else to add? It's going to be good. There's lots of rocks there, and I already have a small stack of field guides that you have purchased for me, so I'm very much excited. Turns out it's also a, and I did not know this, of course, but it is a hub of bird research. So once... The COVID crisis settles down. There's just so much ecology out there and green woods and proximity to lakes and all sorts of good things for you, who is a wildlife scientist. Yep. And birds. You can go hang out with the people, with the people at the Hawk Ridge Bird Observatory. So many birds. Ayo, Bristol. Plus, we swung by Yakima Canyon again on our way back from the west side and got some more petrified wood, and this time we're going to try to identify it. And I am, well, we are going to talk about our ongoing saga of the AFI's Top 100 movie list. Oh, yeah, you betcha. Yeah, sure. Now, we'll get to the movie in a second, but uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> please don't spit out your coffee on me. Uh, this okay. movie... This movie was on the original list, but then when they updated the the list in, like, 2007, they took it off, which was very disappointing to me. But we decided to watch it anyway, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, their film, in a bit. In the meantime, I cannot do the accent super well, but I have an explanation of the Yakima River Canyon Petrified Wood, which is that... 15 to 20 million years ago during the Miocene epoch. Um, we have lots of forests on this side of the country, which we already knew because Republic and all of those fossils. And there used to be a coastline in Republic. And so everything was trashed due to a tropical storm, which preserved it in that wonderful mud slab or mud slate stone. Hmm. 
Anyway, so things in the Yakima Canyon were flat and wooded, but every once in a while there was a stream or a bog or a lake or a pond that had wood in it. So when the lava flows came in and destroyed everything else, they created a nice basaltic husk around the wood because it cooled from the water, sealed in, sealed out the oxygen, and then the silica from the magma lava above ground petrified it, which is wonderful. There's one fella down in the Yakima Canyon, west side of the Yakima Canyon, who has found vertical stands of wood trees, which means that the little whatever pond he was, his property prehistorically was on, had been flooded recently, which is cool because they were still upright and there's a lot of activity and the canyons are still rising and all these other things. The fact that they're not only still vertical, but still intact was incredible. And he ended up selling them to the museum. Hmm. Yeah. That's what I would do. Lots of, yeah, lots of photos online of that, which is really great. Not as helpful with the identifying, although the explanation for why this petrified wood is so beautiful. It doesn't have the rainbow colors of the Southwest. Mm. Like. Maybe that's what I, because I pulled up some just like infographics and it gave me a bunch of colors and I was like, we don't have these colors. No, ours are prettier, in my opinion, because they're sturdier, they're more opalized, quartzite, silica. I mean, the silica obviously becomes the opal and the quartz and the agate, but I love petrified wood from the Yakima River Canyon is the prettiest in the world. We've got lilac colors, we've got this dark glassy stuff that Frank from Astoria told me is dogwood. There's a, like a really deep red, almost like rust color. It's so really pretty. That might be the red alder. The lilac Ooh. looks like it is bald cypress. I want to know what the black stuff is. And it's all Miocene forest. It's untight. But yeah, the really, you're talking about like the penetrating red color. Yes. Yeah, that's this. They've got several slabs of the red alder from that guy's property. It's really pretty, y'all. Um, and when we were, well, there's other colors around too. We, uh, past a gentleman when we were down in Oregon looking for petrified wood who had, like, green in his big old chunk. Yeah, they were looking at other sites, though. Right. Um, I'm trying to find what the black... So it, it is also the state gemstone. Um, it looks like oak is also red. Mm. Um... Bald cypress is the... Yeah, it's a bald cypress. This is more pictures, definitely. Um, that's, that's the lilac stuff, which is extra nice. I want to find what the black pieces are, because dogwood... So apparently all... Excuse me, all nine species that they find is... Um, they're all extinct, and most of them are conifers, which makes sense. But a lot of people go and... I found an article from 69 that discussed how native sites had been terribly disturbed by rock collecting. And I was like, wow, that's uh, 60 years ago and we're still going at it hard. Oh, here's another bald cypress. Same color. Yeah, it's not the shocking that we've got fewer variations. Um, going on here. Lots of limb casts. I've got a little tiny limb cast right here. It's perfect. I love petrified wood. It is my favorite thing. Um, it's, um, yeah, so I'm from the Midwest and we're just not used to these kinds of rocks. I mean, I grew up with granite and like river stones and that's pretty much it. 
in terms of my like growing up and identifying rocks. So, oh, this has been a new experience. But I just love the. There's a lot of like like you said. There's a lot of like variety of colors and like you. I'm sure you'll talk about the conglomerations, but just this beautiful like orange white marbling. But you can tell it's petrified wood because of how gemmy and like waxy it is and so i just love it pops out of the ground at you mm-hmm. when you're looking for it and it just has a totally different texture and like i feel can i say that yes then the rocks around it so it was just really fun t- to collect honestly well and the rocks around it are just basalt yeah which i mean that's the state of washington and oregon but but if rocks were crayons and you just had bits of crayons popping out of the dirt at you. That's my experience of collecting petrified wood. A powerful statement. And also probably pretty accurate. Um, yeah. So, the bogs... Oh, right. So, not only do we have things that also look... I mean, they look painfully like wood, also. You can tell, you can tell the wood grain texture. Yeah. And so, we have several pieces where, like, the... Um, the, the rings or the lines are actually, like, black. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of, like, creamy in between them. So it looks like this beautiful zebra wood. Um, but it's, yeah, it really preserves the the wood look. They are a snapshot in time, which is absolutely magnificent. Also, why you, I find um, a lot of pieces that have, like, insect holes in them. My favorite pieces to find are the... Um, Knots. I like to find knots in petrified I don't know wood. if I found a knot. I do remember that, that agatized chunk you had found, though. Which agatized? Here, all agatized. I'm talking about the one that was, like, clear, but it was clearly wood. And it was... Oh, that cross-section? Yes. That is dope. Okay, but before we carry on, so I found this infographic, right? And this mm-hmm. might be in reference to petrified wood elsewhere in the world. Um, but it says that, like, dark or, like, black colors are more, like, carbon-based. And then, like, blues are copper, cobalt, or chromium. And, like, oranges and this, like, creamy yellow is, like, manganese oxides. And then pinks are manganese. And then, like, browns and oranges are, like, iron oxides. Does okay. This- are those like other minerals that are present that so those are wood? those are like the seasonings that yes okay that flavor the silica that's coming through got it and because there's water the silica also has time to organize itself they find each other they pair up you know how like things attract i don't know how that worked out with you and i but one day you will realize that we are perfect for each other. Probably on our wedding day. Probably. Um. Wow. A lot of sales coming up. That's okay. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of this might be easier to identify when it's polished, right? Yes and no. So, okay. we've got everything from agate to jasper to opal, which are all just concentrations of silica. Um. The contents of the minerals that fossilize the wood obviously vary from region to region. 
which makes it even more delicious to do as far as identifying and collecting goes. Um, because no two sites are the same, essentially, right? Theoretically. I mean, things in Washington might be similar, but the stuff we have in Washington is going to look totally different than stuff in Tennessee, right? Yes. Okay. And I did have, like, when I first started collecting Petrified Woods, someone on my Facebook commented that they wanted advice on how to collect them in Missouri. And I just commented, well, it really depends on where you are, because, I mean, Petrified Wood occurs in every county in Washington, but it doesn't necessarily occur in every state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, I mean, it's just fossils. In Missouri and Illinois, anyone who has ever lived in Illinois knows that nobody owns the mineral rights underneath their own house because there are so many, like, galena lead oil things going on there. So the mineralogy is also very different. Plus, we've got the Missouri River, which cuts through a bunch of layers of bedrock, I still have some of those fossils. They're probably... Oh, geez, I'm not even gonna... I'm not gonna put myself on re- on record getting it wrong, but the Pleistocene Sea that used to cover the central continent... Sounds right to me. The only thing I know of is the... Uh, I can't remember it. There was this huge... Oh, Glacial Lake Agassiz. That's the only, that's the thing I'm most familiar with. That just means that glaciers moved in and then eroded and caused a bunch of things. That's why we have the prairie pothole region. I know, but that's why, that's why the Minnesota was at one point mostly a glacial sea. Yeah, which makes it extra cool. Yes. A glacial sea, yeah. So the Wisconsinian glaciation, which was the most recent did not reach into Missouri. It reached the very tops of Missouri, which is why we have, if you look at the state of Missouri, where I am from, the top third is Agland mm. because the silts from the glacier. Yeah. The middle section is, well, I guess now, now it's Agland, but it's very hilly and mm. it kind of, bleeds into the Ozarks in the southern third. So you've got a bunch of lakes and a bunch of rivers and a bunch of streams. Riverborn. Um, because we didn't really get much of that glaciation, which is fine, but we have a buttload of, excuse me, fossils, and there's a bunch of mining industries going on there. And also mm. we have a weird belt of vineyards, excuse me, because of the dramatic elevation shift down the Ozark. So there's a lot of fresh water and there's a lot of southwestern facing slopes where you can get all of the nice radiation to grow your grapes and all these other things. That's not true for the northern states. You are from a state that was basically a block of ice for most of its life. Yeah. Yeah. We do have a lot of granite and we do have a lot of iron though. Like iron mining, especially where we're going to be moving um, up in the uh, Mesabi Iron Range. So... That's exciting. Yeah, and there are some copper replacement agates up there, which is even cooler. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for those agates now that I actually know more, because I remember growing up and my mom talking about agates all the time uh, and me like <laughs> trying to find them for her. Which is exciting. But now I know more about agates and what to look for. And in, 
as a child, honestly, I was just kind of annoyed because I did not see the value in this banded little brown and reddish stone. They are so deep of a brown. It's so deep of a red, they look brown. Yes. So I'm excited to to find my love of Lake Superior agates. And now I've been in other places where there's totally different colors of agates, which I did not know. I thought all agates were <laughs> brown and red because we didn't call them Lake Superior agates. They were just agates. Yeah, and we have a tumbler now. Yes, I'm excited for that. Yay. Well, apparently there's also honey locust. And there's oaks, and there's, oh, right, okay, so I'm going to wrap up the petrified wood really fast, and then I'm going to move to the Did you get any confirmation on the dogwood? I mean, no. But it would make sense to me because there's dogwood fossils in Republic, right? Yeah, but I don't, these are Miocene fossils, and. So they're a totally separate era than the. And the Republic fossils are. Eocene. Oh. Um, so these ones are theoretically from 15 to 20 million years ago. And then the Eocene was like 60 million years ago. Um, Do we know when trees became a thing? Like when the emergence of trees was on our planet? Yes, but my understanding from like being a biologist is more of the shift in angiosperms which are fruit bearing trees so you've got the conifers and you've got the uh the deciduous more... yeah and conifers are i'm gonna embarrass myself here they're hardier because they don't retreat every year however they fruit less so they grow faster we all know like hardwoods are the desirable construction material because they don't grow continuously and they grow much harder and more resiliently because they put all of their effort in met into metabolizing new wood well i mean technically like yes you can track it in the winter time too but they do most of their hard wood construction as far as their body goes in the warm months when their leaves are soaking up all of the sunlight and they are metabolizing sugars conifers grow very fast but their wood is softer yeah so humans actually affected the transition of deciduous trees to be dominant in lower land areas over conifers mm. because I mean, we can eat parts of conifer trees, sure, but they're really acidic. Yeah. And what, 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 what? food substances do we get from conifers? I know we get pine nuts. Well, is birch a conifer? Pretty sure birch is a conifer. No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I never took dendrology, so you'll have to excuse me. But um, I know that we can skin, we can skin most trees uh. because the meristem, which runs, it's the, for lack of a better term, vein that runs just underneath the active bark of a tree like you can see right here in this particular fossil that's the meristem that big thick black line oh which is why if you ever go to see trees like so in southern missouri whenever we would go to the the creeks or the rivers for floating the timber harvests they would mark trees and then they, you can harvest a tree like a year or two after you cinch it off so you take a wire 
and you literally just pull it and you cut into the outer bark and you cut into the meristem and you basically just choke off the tree. Hmm. I don't know if that hurts the tree, but that's a totally different philosophical hole to fall down. But because that is the meristem contains the up and down veins of nutrition flow. Wait. So when you're tapping maple trees, you're tapping into the meristem because that's where all the fluid is running. Yeah, that's why you can only tap them. Like, you have to tap them at an angle. You can't tap them directly in a circle around the tree because then you're, you're bleeding them. Like, yeah. Yeah, getting syrup is just, you're bleeding the tree. Well, and you also have to be very, I mean, you, you pay very close attention as to where the tree is at and what the temperature is doing so that you you don't kill the tree. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes more sense that I put it into that context in my brain now. Yes. So, um, oh, most, most trees, if you strip them of their bark down to the meristem, have some kind of use for humans. Wow. Maybe it's not a super applicable use. You might have to grind it up first. You might have to dry it out first. It might be flaky so that it would be a lot more work to strip it off than it would in other things. Like, for example, sugar maples are overwhelmingly used for their sugar, but you can tap most trees. Um, it just depends on whether or not they're worth it. And that comes down to all kinds of, like, human lifespans. and the... people, have, people have historically tapped birch trees. Yeah, but apparently it tastes really dirty. I mean, it actually tastes like, like, it's soil-esque flavor is. Where does birch beer come from? (laughs) I don't know. You know what? Birch beer is probably an old term for the same process that the Budweiser in St. Louis uses. It's a process that they use to make their beer, which increases the surface area um, within the fermenting container, allowing the yeast to proliferate more than in other processes. So they only Budweiser only uses this process in three of their makes. Bud, Bud Light, or Budweiser, Bud Light, and Bud Select. Uh. So in the giant chambers, they put pieces of birch bark because it doesn't break down into the bottom of the container, and then the yeast just settles on the more surface area, so you get a richer flavor. And if you've ever had the chance to visit the Budweiser plant in St. Louis, you absolutely should, because from the tap, it actually tastes like a totally different beer. Yeah, so, no, birch birch beer is a thing, and it, it is sap or extracts from the bark. Um, gives it a distinctive flavor, reminiscent of wintergreen, but black birch is the most common source of the extract. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of, we're going to have to move on from the petrified wood, because a lot of what I'm finding is just, uh, we know that the lilac stuff is the cypress, and I think that's about all we're going to get for today, because um, a lot of these others are just, they're trying to sell the material, which is fine, but they're not, they're interested in the gem quality of the mineral, they're not interested in speciating it. And again, you would have to have a microscope and someone who is a paleobotanist. But right quick, before we do, um, these conglomerations are worth mentioning as well. So when we walk around on the slopes of the eroding basalt that reveal these pockets of petrified wood, a lot of the time, even the untrained eye can recognize what is a limb cast. This right here is a petrified stick. Looks like a, looks like a stick. It exactly looks like a stick. Right. That With looks... With a very gemmy center. Yes. Looks like a, it's like a candy. Ugh. 
Don't eat it. Candies. Um, this piece looks like a conglomeration. It looks like it is mixed up of, if you were to transition it back into its original woodiness, it would be that soft stuff that you sink into at the bottom of a lake when the lake is a lot more shallow than you remember it being. You know, it's, it's peaty. It's degrading wood chips. It's mulchy. But it's also got enough of wood left over that it petrified like this. So these deposits in Yakima are called bogs. So they might have just been forest floors that became flooded during the... It's like petrified particle board. That's exactly what it is. We should totally make that the, the name but, of this But more episode. like a plywood because there are some bigger chunks in there. Well, yeah, but like if you see this as a cross section, I mean, you can see the, the pieces that did not break down as much. So you've got some stick cross sections in here and it's just, they look like roots. You also have root systems that grow through this kind of stuff. Mm. So it's really interesting. It doesn't have the durability of this section, which is very clearly a cross section of, I mean, you've even got the center of the log there. Yeah. Um, so it breaks apart a lot more easily, but I'm really glad that they recognize that there are these bog deposits because otherwise they'd be like, what the heck is this? I just thought they were a conglomeration. I just thought that it was petrified wood that had been mulched up during the eruption. No, 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 no. It was already mulched. It just petrified like mulch. Yeah. So very that makes sense. And as far as the rest of the things go, I can keep researching, but I'm really just going to have to talk to somebody, which to their distress i will find someone to identify our petrified wood for us um but that was our last big haul from washington state and that is okay because now we're gonna move we're gonna pass through fargo on our way to duluth so yeah uh for those of you who don't know uh i am a film buff and i love movies uh mostly good movies but I will watch bad movies in the interest of finding good movies. Uh, but since COVID hit, I've been more intentionally watching movies from AFI's Top 100, uh, Greatest Films of All Time list. Um, but again, caveat, most of these are American movies, uh, which is disappointing to a lot of folk. But uh, there's the old list. And then there's the post-2007 list because they had some sort of 10-year anniversary, something or other. But the movie Fargo... Uh, say it again, say it again. The movie Fargo... Fargo. ...is uh, on the old list. And, you know, as a Minnesotan... Uh, Fargo, by the way, is in North Dakota, not Minnesota. But, you know, we get teased with the accent all the time. <laughs> and so I grew up with... The movie Fargo being a part of my culture. However, I had never seen the movie. And so we decided it was time. And I'm really glad we watched it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to transition back to my normal voice now. <laughs> it was coming in and out just a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, when I do it, it's extra strong because I'm not used to smiling during every single syllable. Which is definitely a part of the accent, which you know. Yeah, so you really build up those cheek muscles because you have to smile with every single thing you say. Which I think is a very visual <laughs> aspect of the film. Because the main character, spoiler alerts. Uh, That's not a spoiler alert. Well, if you've never seen the film and don't want to know any details of the film, stop no. listening. Okay. 
But the main character, Margie, is such a brilliant film character. I love her so much because she's so quintessential Minnesota nice. And yet she's brilliant and tenacious. But she smiles with everything she says, even when it's her doing her job as a police officer and as a very intentional detective. I don't know if I agree with your police work there, Lou. <laughs> so wonderful. Oh, no. He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. <laughs> oh, my God. Please watch it. It's, yeah. It has, so I think Margie is one of the best, like, top 100 AFI film heroes. But the uh, the the villain character, Jerry, I just want to punch him in the head. The entire movie. Well, and the research that you did after the fact about that character, the actor, he's really well known for a bunch of other stuff, but he actually, like, he demanded to reread for it because he, and I quote, was afraid they were going to mess it up and cast someone else as Jerry. Yes. (laughs) So, like, he really went after that role and totally nailed it. Oh, my gosh. It's so good and so painful, but he is, like, one of the best movie villains. So you have this wonderful dynamic of across the plot of this film and of course um it's known for its wood chipper scene Um, which is at the very end at the very end yes i had heard about the wood chipper scene everyone has heard about the wood chipper scene i had never seen the wood chipper scene so it was nice to have that mystery cleared up for me but one time i was driving around fargo and i was following this guy towing a wood chipper and i just had this (laughs) existential my life is a cliche moment well, and I think it's a good point. If you're going to dispose of a body, a wood chipper in winter, probably not the best option. It creates a big old red flag. Literally. Because, you know, if you've ever seen a wood chipper, like, wood chips get everywhere. And so, you know, just replace that with Human. hemoglobin. Yeah. And it's just a, literally, like, it, a big red flag. It's a sight. And, you know, you're not going to put a... a not a sheep. What do you guys have up there? Deer? Yes. You're not going to put a deer that you killed in no. a wood chipper. No. Why? I mean, it. it it's just, the characters get progressively stupider as the hero gets progressively more brilliant. You know, it has... And more pregnant. It has that wonderful quality of film where the tension builds up and the the events... I mean, this, this is like a snowball, a really terrible snowball filled with, like, glass shards in a movie because things just get progressively worse and then they build on each other and you're like, Jerry, you flippin' idiot. And things just really get out of hand real quick. Um, but it's it's so wonderful in that way because the tension is just so palpable. And yet you have Margie, who is this really super lovable character. And so you don't want anything bad to happen to Margie. And her husband, Norm. Oh, the painter. Yeah. Anywho, so that'll be a nice new adventure for us, and I will work on the accents so that I don't make everyone hate me. If so, move there. What I will say about Fargo, um, it's funny because it's called Fargo, and yet it takes place in Brainerd, which is in Minnesota. Um, Brainerd. I've been to Brainerd many a time. Uh, almost got. I almost. This is an exaggeration, but I almost died in a tornado while camping out in Brainerd once. You are prone to the hyperbole. (laughs) Well, there were tornadoes warnings, and it was a real bad storm, and I thought I was going to die. But, um, 
Yeah, also that same weekend they found alligators roaming around Brainerd. It was quite the weekend. An Any... exotherm? In Minnesota? They found a couple alligators. They were probably just pets that some jerk let loose. Well, yeah, but how are they gonna... I don't think they can burrow down deep into that mud to avoid the... I think they uh... found them walking on the streets. The ice there. This was summer. It's gonna... <laughs> it's gonna be hard for them. <laughs> Did you know that the temperature at which alligator eggs incubate determines their sex? I did not know that. That does not surprise me. So when they collect, I think this is true for turtles too, when they collect them and they incubate them, they have to incubate them. There's a two degree difference between the boys and the girls. Oh, that makes sense. You don't want 50 boys. Well, I mean, but also, you know, egg laying. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, so here's what I'll say. Here's my final thought, okay? If you are interested in Minnesota culture, um, Fargo will give you a glimpse of it. It is not the whole story, and it's not the most accurate. But there are elements that are very accurate in that film. So if that's of interest to you at all, or if you're not familiar with Minnesota, because it is kind of its own little country. It is a very specific culture. It's okay to watch Fargo. And it's a great movie, so... Yeah. I like the head bobbing. They had a they had an accent coach who ends up starring... Or not starring in the film, but she's featured in the film as one of the characters. And when we looked it up, she really pushed the emphasis of nod your head while you talk to show agreement. And I was like, oh, I know which character she is because... In the scene where she is, like, the her counterpart in that scene, they're both just, like, smiling and nodding, like, oh, yeah! And you're just... Why? You look like you're bobbing for apples. <laughs> the character dynamics, I think, are a really good portrayal of Minnesota nice, which is totally a thing. But there's also very, I mean, there's also Minnesota racist and Minnesota passive aggressive. But Minnesota nice is a thing. I learned from this experience that the accent actually comes from the Norwegian settlers. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. I just thought, you know, it was just like an American thing. No, it's definitely super... Nordic. Nordic. Yeah. Which will be fun! Plus lots of agates and lots of minerals and things to touch. And it's so cold, no one will ever move there in mass enough to... Uh, I don't know. Maybe they will. But right now, most people don't want to live there because it gets to 20 below. Yeah, those polar vortexes, especially in the last few years, they've been intense. Centripetal force in the atmosphere. Okay! Alrighty, well, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Yeah, and if you have any questions about petrified wood, or if you have any opportunity to explain what some of these different species are, please contact me. Or if you want to talk about movies, contact me. Right on. Bye.